I just finished a, a series in my Sunday school class on Christian cliches and their lack of biblical foundation. And it came out of a survey that, that, that Barna, you know, Barna and Pew and all of the research companies are finding out that there is a huge biblical ignorance among the Christian community. Shame on us. And so we, we grow up, and of course this was, it was part tongue in cheek, not the survey, was part tongue-in-cheek in this, in this series because I told my class, I said, according to the survey, three-quarters of Americans and half of all professing Christians think that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. And they think that godliness is next to cleanliness is next to godliness is in the Bible. And um, what's some others? Uh, when God closes the door, He opens a window. That's not in the Bible. That's in Sound of Music. When the Reverend Mother looked at Fräulein Maria and she thought everything had just shut down there with Captain Von Trapp and, and she goes, well, you know, Fräulein Maria, when God closes a door, He opens a window. That was in 1960-something. And it became biblical Christian vernacular. So when we studied that cliche, we said, we looked at the Scripture, it was like, no, when God closes a door, He closes the door. He's under no obligation to open a window. He isn't, because that's our assumption that, well, if God has closed the door in front of what I want, then He's got to open a window so I can still get there. No, He does not. So anyway, so that brought out this whole thing. And then I, as we live in our culture and our society, and I don't know, I've just stopped watching the news, um, because it's just, you know, incredibly um, harsh and dramatic and violent. We live in a rebellious Society. We live in a rebellious society, and it's not going to be too much longer. And many of you may have already experienced it. You see it in the news if you follow Christian or conservative websites or speakers or blogs. Christianity is under attack. And we need to be prepared to defend and give an answer for what we believe, not run and hide. And so today's sermon message whatever uh, lesson is on, the war of the worldviews, where we are the Christian biblical worldview against the other worldviews. And it is a war. It is a battle. The term for it is, is called apologetics. It's a, it may be a little confusing and intimidating. Oh, wow. That's, okay, that was hard. I don't know if, that, if you can see it. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's in your notes. <laughs> What am I worried about? You all got it there in nice big notes. The term apologetics does not mean to apologize. It comes from the Greek word meaning answer or defense. And so, of course, as our English language, you know, and we, how we take other words. And uh, I remember the comedian Steve Martin, he said, he went to France. He says, you know, if you go to France, this fromage means cheese and oaf means egg. Chapeau means hat. He goes, it's like those Frenchies have a different word for everything. And so, if we take our, uh, the English language, we take words from other cultures, and then we, through cultural changes, they become different. And so, apologetics, apologia, used to mean a defense or an answer, not an apology. And so, if we look at that, we need to understand that we are not under any obligation to apologize for what we believe. 
The Bible says, 1 Peter, it's one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 3, 13-17, it says, We must be ready to give an answer or an apologia or a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason that the hope is in us. In other words, why we believe what we believe. We should be ready to give an answer. And if we are one of those Christians that do not understand the Scripture, do not know why we believe, think that cleanliness is next to godliness is in the Bible, if someone were to approach you and ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Is there going to be crickets chirping? Is there going to be deer in the headlights? And any other animal analogy I can think of? Because we have to be ready to give an answer to why we believe what we believe and to do it without an apology. To do it with confidence, with boldness, yes, with compassion and humility, but we need to be ready. So, why would we do that? There should be a, there should be a number. Of, there's a number of reasons why we would. I hate to say practice apologetics, but be ready to defend what we believe. And that doesn't mean that we're going to always be under attack. Someone may come up to us and very and very um, honestly and, and, and humbly ask us, I, "I've just noticed something different about you." But there's only so much that lifestyle evangelism can accomplish. Eventually, you have to talk to somebody in order to share the gospel and to share what you believe. So here's some, here's some reasons for understanding the Scripture so much that you can defend what you believe. Number one is to convince or to win unbelievers. I mean, that's, that's our calling as disciples of Christ is to win the lost. So we should be able to tell and articulate what we believe. I finished, prior to the cliche, we finished a top ten series. I love top ten lists. I will dig and dig and dig. If I have a list and I only come up with eight things, I'll make up two. Just because I have to have a top ten list. And we did the top ten verses about salvation that every Christian should know. John 3.16, 1 John 1.9, Acts 4.12... Of all of those verses, Romans 5, 8, we went right down the list of those ten verses that we should be know by heart in order to share the gospel. Another reason we should be ready to defend or to explain uh, what we believe is to boldly defend what we believe against those committed to the demise of a biblical worldview. So now you've got what Christ ran into all the time with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were trying to destroy his worldview, his godly, divine, biblical worldview, because of what they had been teaching. So they were always trying to trap him. And they would ask him a question. You know, this, this woman is caught in sin, we should stone her. And he would go, fine, I'll draw your names in the sand. Anybody with the, out sin cast the first stone. It's, you know, then they'd come back again. There was a woman, she married a brother, and the brother died, so she had to marry the other brother, and the brother, and seven brother, and three brother, brother, you know, and says, okay, when the judgment comes, who's she married to? And he goes, you know, there's no marriage in heaven. Doesn't mean we're not going to be, know each other. But he would, he would answer the question, what is the greatest commandment? They're going, I got him on that one, boy, there's ten of them. They're all equal. Moses, they're all equal, but boy, he picks one. <laughs> We've got him. You know, the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and they'd march away. And they did it because he always responded with the correct biblical answer. But he did it harshly. He called them vipers and and cisterns and pits and, 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 and caskets and snakes because they were out 
to do harm to the Christian worldview. So we have the unbeliever who's asking us, and we have the people that have no intention of wanting to know anything about the Lord. They're just there just to put you on the hot seat. And so we have two <coughs> types of, of audiences for, to protect our family. We need to raise our kids in a strong biblical worldview because when they leave or they go to school or they go to college, it is under attack. And we owe it to our children and to future generations to bring them up with a biblical perspective and a biblical worldview. I've had more chats with my grandsons about that. You know, it's the old teaching moments. Uh, my kids, same way. And I'm not bragging because I'm not the perfect father by any stretch. Or husband. You can ask my wife that. That's why I don't bring her. Um, so, uh, yes, honey, I know. I, okay, no. I'm, I, your speakerphone's off. Um, but we, we owe it to our children to protect them when they're hit with those worldviews. How many Christian teens do we lose when they go to college? And they come home and they tell their parents, I don't believe what I used to believe anymore. Well, how can you not believe? Because there wasn't that foundation. It's not a blame. You know, I'm not trying to make people here feel guilty. I'm saying they didn't go. You know, we're all responsible. The church, the families, the parents. To bring them up. And finally, to instruct and to build up believers. I mean, we need to build each other up. We need to, you know, and, and, and you, you know that I have... <laughs> I have soapboxes everywhere because I'll always step on a soapbox and go off on a tangent. I, I grieve, I grieve the demise of Sunday school in the church. As modern churches go towards small groups, nothing wrong with that. But that Sunday school, that biblical instruction, that, that, that deep biblical instruction, not the small groups, and, and, and small groups have that community and that connectivity. But do they really get down into the scripture and go, let's examine this scripture, or is it two or three questions about the sermon? Have fun if you're small groups. It's good to discuss this one. <laughs> I'll give you something to talk about. Okay. But no argument. No defense, no convincing diatribe, as I've written there, is more effective than a Christian testimony. We have to understand that. We can try to beat up people that are after the Christianity and we can get angry with them or we can argue with them. But at the end of the day, for an unbeliever who wants to know, we can just say, this is what God did for me. I love the story of the blind man that was healed. And Christ, I mean, he healed a lot of blind and he, he did a lot of healing. But this one is that the, the church leaders came to him and said, what happened? What went on here? Who did this? Why did he do this? And the disciples were, was he blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned? How could he be born blind if he sinned? He hadn't sinned yet. He hadn't been born yet. Back and forth. And so they were pressuring this poor guy who had been blind all of his life. And he says, I don't know any of that. All I know is once I was blind and now I can see. That was his testimony. And so many times just a personal testimony is how we walk into conversations without already being loaded up with the top ten reasons why you should be a Christian or top ten reasons why you're going to hell. But there are times when it's a battle. So we move into that. This is a war. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 tells us, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers of this dark age, 
and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This is not a war against people. It is a spiritual war. What we're seeing in our world today and in our own country is a spiritual battle. It's manifesting itself in human responses and reactions, but it is a spiritual battle. But God and Christ gives us the power to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Right now, Christianity is really, really cross-culture. And if people ask us what we believe, and we are afraid that, oh, well, that's going to make people angry, that's going to be politically incorrect. If that's the way. Jesus said, the world will hate you because it hated me first. Now, what a way to collect disciples. Hi, thanks you all for joining this club. Just want to let you know, everybody outside this club is going to hate you. Okay, because they hated me first, so I decided to create a club so we could all get together and be hated by everybody else. That's not, it's not a good, it's not a good pitch to put on the, uh, on the billboard. But Jesus told us if we are living a life for Christ, on fire for Christ, biblically based perspective, worldview, we are not going to be liked by our culture. And, and it's getting increasingly so here in America. So we are in a world in crisis. Here's the crisis: is that we're facing three crises here in our world. I'm starting my um, <clears throat> prophecy series next week at, at Westminster, and it's developed over the last 20 years. And there's a big chunk now on what is going on in the world today. Yes, there's prophecy fulfilled. There's prophecy yet to be fulfilled, but what we're going through right now, folks, is is biblical prophecy being lived out right before our eyes. And so what we're seeing in our world today is we see a cultural crisis. Western civilization is on the verge of dying. If you watch the news, for those of you that can still stomach it, Western civilization is on the verge of dying. We're defined by moral decay, ethical erosion, and obsession with pleasure, materialism, and self-centeredness. That last one, self-centeredness, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, what is the first thing he said you have to do? Deny yourself. Okay, we got a problem right off the bat. The second crisis is intellectual. Absolute truth is rejected. Pluralism and relativity are embraced. No, I'm sorry, folks. Truth is truth. It's a capital T, and it's truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. You say that to some educated college professor, and he'll have a nosebleed and a coronary right in front of you. There is absolute truth. The example I use is that this room. Now, many of you, the temperature in this room... Is you feel differently. Some of you feel it's cold. Some of you think it's hot. And that's okay. If I go back and look at the thermostat, wherever that is, right there with the, <laughs> the standard church plastic protector thing on it with the lock. So no <laughs> Precisely so that no one can go back there and go, oh, I am just dying. Let's turn that air conditioning on. Oh, I'm so cold. Let's turn that heat up. If I asked you how many think this room is cold... You'd have certain people raise their hand. How many think this room is warm? I could go back there and say, you know what? The thermostat says it's 72 degrees. That's the truth. You can't argue with me. You can't say, no, it's not. It is, it, it is much hotter than that. No, it's not. So when we talk about truth, truth is absolute. Everything else is opinion. And we need to understand that as we move into this, this world conflict that we're going to run into. If we are an active, visible Christian, we are going to be questioned or worse, attacked because of that.
And finally, it's spiritual. Our world is in need of Christ whether they know it or not. They are. God's judgment is drawing closer and time is running out. So let's take a look at the clashes here. Human Humanity versus Christianity covers the whole gamut. No, we're not going to do all of these today. We'd be here till 1 o'clock and I know you got other things to do. I'm sorry. Just, I have grandson duty again this afternoon. So last, last time we spoke, wasn't I heading to the Kansas City Chiefs game? 11 degrees. I can't tell you how cold that was at that game. Now, my son and my grandsons are Kansas City fans, so they were happy with the result of the game. But I, I, I swear I was going to die of cold just sitting there. And since I didn't lubricate myself with other liquids, you know, I was just even colder. So these are the areas that we could talk about if we had time. I mean, you're looking at a, probably a, what, a 12-week series in apologetics, which I do teach that, and that's coming up in late spring, early summer in my class. But these are the areas in which humanism and Christianity differ and can never find common ground. God, Jesus Christ, creation, the Bible, sin, heaven, hell, moral relativity, self-esteem, tolerance, sanctity of life, life purpose, sex, and the family. Humanism and Christianity will never see eye to eye on any of those areas. So let's take a look at the secular human worldview. Secular humanism is a philosophy that rejects any supernatural or divine source or authority for man's existence, purpose, morality, or decision-making. It takes God out of the picture. Therefore, it takes the purpose out of the picture. It takes the divine source or authority. That's one word that's becoming so hateful these days, so despised, and that's authority. I remember as a manager, an executive in, in, uh, for several years, and I watched as I got, I was the only one that got older. My, all my staff always stayed the same age, but I got older. And I was looking, I was thinking about the generations and the attitudes that they bring to the workplace. And the, the, the older generation, um, not that Lee's older, but I know I make fun of Lee a lot, but I love that man. I hope you heard that part. Lee and Helen are just dear people. There was a respect for authority. The next generation down, which was my generation, there was an obedience to authority. The next generation down, which is the one behind me, there was question authority. I had 20 and 30-somethings, 30, 40-somethings that worked for me. And when I asked them to do something, they would ask why. Now, my father's response would have been because I said so. You know, if you don't question your dad when you... But the generation behind us, behind me, questions authority. They still probably will obey once I had given them the, the just The generations now defy authority. So we've gone from respect, obedience, question to defy. That's not saying everybody in this room that's under the age of 35 defies authority. I'm saying that that is our culture now. Anything with authority has to be defied, has to be um, attacked. Our police officers are not safe anymore. We see it in the news now way too often of fallen officers because they are the symbol of authority. Therefore, by definition in our culture today, they are allowed to be a target instead of something to be respected. I know, this, sometimes you go, man, when this guy preaches, it just gets so heavy. 
So, anyway, let's go to the next slide. Uh, it, it's Satan's primary form of philosophical and spiritual deceit because it's hard to argue against. But if you have Scripture on your side, you can knock down every single argument. It did start with Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. Let's go to the next slide. Um, in Genesis 10, 10 and 11, 1 through 8, we know that Nimrod built the Tower of Babel, which is, of course, the ancient site for Babylon, and he built Nineveh. Him and his mother began the whole mother goddess child practices that was later prevalent. And his birth date is traditionally thought to have been December 25th. And I, we also, in our class, discuss how Easter and Christmas got their dates. And it was to pacify the winning of pagans to Christianity. It wasn't based upon any biblical basis. The early Christian church did it because they wanted to, to um, give the pagans that they were witnessing to a more comfortable transition into Christianity by matching our dates with their dates that had already been established. But when the Tower of Babel was built, it was the first symbol and sign of man going against God and going, we can do this on ourselves. We don't need God. We are a human-driven culture. And we will build a tower all the way to heaven to prove that we are as good and as powerful as God. Of course, God went down and said, well, I got I got a trick for you. I'm going to scramble the languages. And I, and I dramatically, I know that's hard to believe that I dramatically demonstrate this. Um, do you all care if we do like a couple minutes over, I hope? Feel free to leave if you want. Um, yeah, it's like, great. Now if I get up and even I have to go to the restroom, people are going to go, he couldn't stay another few minutes? But I'm saying you're down at the, you're down at the, uh, okay, that's probably not a good idea. Let's try this. Make myself a little table here. It's drier here in Longmont than it is in Westminster, I think. <clears throat> Closer to Wyoming, that's probably why. Um, <coughs> so they're down there, they're working on the, tower, on, 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 the, on the Tower of Babel, and they're all talking to each other. Hey, pass me that brick. Hey, hand me that chisel. And all of a sudden, God comes down, he, he messes up the languages. So now you're going, hey, hand me that chisel. The guy goes, you should be able to be and that guy's going, and all of a sudden they're all scrambled. And they don't. So now you're looking for people that are saying the same thing you are. You're going, wait a second, I heard somebody that I understand. And then they all kind of got together and they're going, what's going on here? I don't know. I don't understand the word those people are saying. And they're all, they're all in their own little groups and then they spread out and that's how God did it. And that's the dramatic explanation of how it happened. It's not biblical necessarily, but it's funny to think about it. So we take the four pillars of secular humanism. Atheism, evolution, moral relativity, and amorality. We've got all four of them right now in our culture. First one, atheism. <clears throat> there is no God. No divine sovereign of the universe and no creator. Of course, Genesis 1.1 tells us differently. <coughs> it was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It wasn't evolution. I'm not going to get into the argument with whether God used an evolutionary process or whether there's a literal seven days. The point is, is God did it. In apologetics, we talk about that God is the uncaused first cause. Something had to happen to cause things. Well, the Big Bang Theory, the, the, the blew up, you know, this, the boom, and they're going, well, who caused that? Well, it's not important, it just caused itself. Well, you, 
it does nothing. Even science has to admit things don't cause itself. So if God started it all, who caused God? Nobody. He was always been around. So he is the uncaused first cause of everything. You can pick the process you think is legit, but the point is, is God started it all and no one started God. That's a, that, I love that. I love, thank you for the amen. I love that phrase. So there, if there's no God or no creator, then there's no one to which man has to be accountable to. I now don't have to be accountable for my actions. Well, the scripture says, 2 Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're all going to stand before the Lord. We're either going to stand before the Lord as an unbeliever and he's our judge, or we're going to stand before the Lord as a believer. We've still got to go through the judgment seat of Christ <clears throat> to be rewarded or not for our actions as believers. The Bema seat is a biblical, is a biblical fact that Christians will stand before Christ and they will, be, they will be judged on what they've done in His name. Not for their sins. The sins are gone. This is what you accomplished as you were a Christian and to grow the kingdom of God. Romans 4.12 Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Revelation 22 Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. There's the cover of Time magazine for April 8th, 1966. Is God dead? I can tell you the answer to that. The answer is no. But atheism says if there's no God, then I don't have anybody I have to be accountable to. Boy, that's, that's freeing. You know what? Unfortunately, they're wrong. And, it's, and, and, and people will find that out at, at, at the worst possible time. But atheism says there's no God, no creator. Therefore, there's nobody I, can be, I have to be accountable to. Then comes along evolution. If there's no creator, if God didn't start all of this, then it must have evolved. Boy, I tell you, we could go on and on about the evolution. I'm not, I won't. <clears throat> but it all started, at least culturally, in 1859 with Charles Darwin's book on the origin of species. It was a theory. That theory has been debunked a million times. Everything from no transitional fossils, you know, there's just, there's so many reasons why it's wrong, yet it's still taught as fact in the schools, and creationism is taught as myth and or not taught at all. So evolution has certainly caught on, but it says if, if man, if God did not create it, then man has to evolve, <clears throat> therefore man is in charge. If man's involved, there's no God, then man is in charge. And today, even though DNA and other scientific evidence continue to disprove the theory of evolution, it is accepted and held to be true. Evolution theorists will not debate true, intellectual, intelligent Christian scientists because they get beat every time. If a, if a secular organization wants to do a, a debate about evolution, they'll bring the top the top person on the evolution side and they'll bring some unknown weak individual from the Christian side who's going to be buried. Because that's what they, they, they don't want the opposite to happen. You even it up, Bible wins every time. It wins every time. But they will never make it even. They're always going to have the 
the person on the, the evolution side have more credentials or more intelligent or a more eloquent speaker than the person on the creation side. They stack the deck. <clears throat> Next is moral relativity. So as we go down this chain, we come to moral relativity. If there is no God and man has evolved or is still evolving, then there can be no standard or absolute by which we are to be lived or to be judged. Everything is relative to each individual's feelings, perspectives, and interpretations. And you're seeing that now in our culture. People can identify any way they want to. People can break the law and, and not be held accountable to it. There are over and over again where our society has moved into that I am not accountable for anything that I do because it's my right, it's my decision, it's my identity, it's my perspective. You have no right to tell me how I can think and or live or feel. And that's because it goes back to this stage. It has gone from atheism to evolution to moral relativity is that your truth... <clears throat> Your truth doesn't have to be my truth, and my truth doesn't have to be your truth. Well, but that's wrong because that's feelings and opinions. Truth is truth. You, you can't redefine truth. You can only have your own perspective on it, but you can't redefine it. And finally, the last one is, is everything breaks down. There's no right or wrong, and that's amorality. And this is where we're heading as a world and a culture. No right or wrong relieves all moral responsibility and personal accountability. And we are seeing that, you know, I was reading uh, more of those statistics and, and uh, oh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, if I'm going to quote somebody, I better get it right. Oh, former Secretary of Education William Bennett. Uh, many of you have, have read things that he's written or heard him. He has said, we in the United States have become the kind of society that civilized countries used to send missionaries to. Wow. We become the kind of country that, other, that we, would have sent, we would have sent missionaries to 100 years ago. We're the kind of nation that people would have sent missionaries to. That's what we've become. So amorality, so promoting a moral law or absolute truth is now heresy. I love arguing truth, excuse me, debating truth, lovingly, spirit-filled debating of truth. <clears throat> I've run more people off my front porch than I care to admit, in a loving way. They had to carry some poor woman off my porch because she just would not, did not understand what I was talking about. She wanted to talk about the kingdom. I said, okay, let's talk about the kingdom. I got my Bible out and I go, which kingdom are we talking about? And about halfway through the conversation, she literally had, was so upset at me that her daughter and, and her granddaughter had to walk her down the walk. I wasn't being mean. I didn't attack the woman. I just merely countered. With, and I'm not expecting all of you to become apologetic debaters. I just want you to be confident. Don't let people make you insecure about what you believe. That's the first step. You may not be able to argue it. None of us are, none of us are lawyers. We don't have to go out and argue it in, in, in a courtroom, but... We shouldn't apologize or, or feel bad for what we believe. I'm sorry, but this is why. No, don't, don't say I'm sorry, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. I may not be able to state my case as well as you, but this is what I believe. And unapologetically. John 14:6 makes it clear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
It's exclusive. I think last week, <coughs> or last time I spoke, <coughs> I apologize. Last time I spoke, I said, um, and this is where I sometimes forget where I was going with this, and I just forgot where I was going with it. It'll come back. <coughs> Romans 1, 18 through 22 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who suppress the truth. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God has given enough in his creation alone to create at least a hunger in individuals. Not necessarily salvation, but a a hunger. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Professing to be wise, they were fools. And I look at our culture and, I, and you have to weep. It's easy to get angry at individuals, but sometimes you have to mourn for that because they're so strong in their hate for things of God because they honestly feel that they are right and they need to be, they need to be loved and educated into the biblical perspective. We'll go ahead and wrap up. Romans 2, 5 through 10 says the same thing. It just talks about the fact that we are, are um, those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, is, in, is heading for judgment. And so the conclusion, the biblical exhortation is, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Don't be fooled. Don't be apologetic. Don't be ashamed. According to the tradition of men and according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't be timid. So the conclusion is because of the identity of Christians and with the one true God, the Christian worldview is antithetical, means it's at odds with all other worldviews. Defending what we believe serves our Lord and Creator by affirming him as the basis and purpose of rationality before men and showing that the basis of other worldviews cannot account for the reality they live in. Just other worldviews can't... <clears throat> I have a book that says, I, am, I, I, I can't remember the author, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because the, the, the basis of the book is, atheists believe there is no God and then have to try to find an explanation for everything. And no explanation works to explain everything. The Christian believes in God, and then that explains everything. <laughs> so it's one of those things, that it's, 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 that, it's that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and try to explain everything. If I believe in God, everything falls in place. And I realize this is a church, and we're all sitting here in church. We're here, on, we're here intentionally and by choice. You're going, well, of course that makes sense, Mark. When we run into the world, it doesn't make sense to them. So I'm not trying to say this is easy. Or that, wow, Mark, all the things you've said, I'm I'm, I'm going to go out and start doing some apologetics. I'm going to pull some guy over and go, I'm going to tell you what I believe, and here's all the reason. And they ask you a question, and you you go, oh, shoot, I don't know the answer. Well, Mark was wrong. He He said this was going to be easy. No, I didn't say it was going to be easy. But I will tell you, don't apologize for what we believe. Firm yourself up. Get into the Word. 
have that strength and that, that conviction that you know what you believe and you know why you believe it. The goal of apologetics <clears throat> is to defend the gospel from the wisdom of the world by silencing its foolishness and offering the only possible interpretation of reality <clears throat> in the light and the hope of Jesus Christ. I know this is the tip of a big iceberg. A lot of notes today, but thank you for your kindness, and let's close in prayer. Father God, we come before you again. We thank you for your wisdom, for your word. We thank you for the strength that you will give us. All we have to do is ask. The scripture even says that when you are called before men to be persecuted or to be judged, don't worry about what you're going to say because I'm going to give you the words. What a cool promise. <clears throat> Father, we are in a culture that is increasingly becoming hateful and violent towards your word and your biblical view, the biblical perspective. You as creator, Jesus Christ, is the only way. We are, we are accused of being exclusive, and yes, we are. We're exclusive in the fact that there's Jesus is the only way, but we're inclusive in the fact that anyone can come to Christ. So we can't be accused of being exclusive in the fact that we, because anybody, whosoever will, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, that's, that's, that's 100% inclusive. Nobody will be refused from the Lord who comes humbly and honestly to him. God, go with us today. Thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you for this lovely group of believers, Father God and congregation, and their, their kindness to me and their pastor, Sid and Julie. Bless Pastor Sid and Julie and their mission trip. Bring them back safely. Bless this church's outreach into the community. Help us to be bold as we go forth to defend, always being ready to give an answer for what we believe and the hope that is within us. In Jesus' name we pray and we look forward to his return. Amen.